What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer, and you have just entered the city limits of Keen Sights, which is a terrifying place to be right now. So arm yourselves well and come with me to find out why in this review of Daymare 1998. from that day never let go. Neither did the wounds. I survived hell once. Alright guys, so in my reviews, I always start out with the story. So the story in Daymare 1998, basically it revolves around this gaseous bioweapon that's been created by a mega corporation known as Hexacore, which is a company that's, it's one of those companies that it has its touch that's felt throughout the entire world on many continents and in many cities, kind of controlling them from the political standpoint, that kind of thing. Now, this bioweapon, it was being researched and created at a facility that was on this island out in the Pacific Ocean. And the game begins with this team of trained Hades members. And basically, Hades is, think of this game's version of SWAT. So these Hades members, they're flying to the facility via helicopter during this crazy storm. And they're going to investigate why communications have suddenly gone silent there. And if things have actually gone pretty bad... Their orders are to leave with the tanks that are housing this gaseous bioweapon that's been created here on this island. Now, the rain's pouring as the team lands, and you're playing as Hades member Leave, who has been sent in to investigate the inner situation of the facility. So let's just say, without going into too much detail here, things have gone pretty bad at the facility, and Leave does all he can to pretty much get back to the helicopter uh, at the extraction point. And once he's back on board, the cargo's secured, they have the gaseous uh, bioweapon secured and the uh, canisters. It's attached to the helicopter. The helicopter heads back out into the storm. So through events that are taking place on the helicopter at this point that I'm going to leave for you guys to find out as you play, uh, the copter, it ends up crashing. And with it, the gaseous bioweapon, uh, which now is seeping out into the air in and around the city of Keen Sight which is the main location of the game. 
Now, as the story progresses, you're going to play as three different characters over five chapters. Leave uh, was obviously the first of those three. And each one of these characters, they have unique weapons. There's unique locations that you explore. And each one has different motivations for what they are doing and why they are trying to progress throughout this conflict. Now, Samuel is the second character that you're going to play as. He's actually a forest ranger who unfortunately gets caught up in all this mess. Uh, I personally, I, I really liked his story. He had a really cool backstory, uh, very interesting character. And I felt that out of the three playable characters, he was the most unique of them. And the fact that he was not actually some kind of marine or trained professional here, he was just a forest ranger and just kind of everything is dropped into his lap and he kind of has to react. Um, so I, I definitely enjoyed Samuel's story. Uh, he's also the, I would say, most damaged in a sense. Each character was, I felt, pretty damaged. They had a kind of a damaged backstory. Uh, and Sam is, is definitely, I would say, the most of the three. He is actually suffering from Daymare Syndrome, uh, which is where you apparently have visions throughout the course of your waking hours. And uh, you get to experience that as a player throughout the course of your time playing as Samuel. So definitely pretty interesting from a gameplay standpoint as well. The final playable character that you play as through this game's story is Raven, who is another member of that Hades team that was on the helicopter in the beginning of the game. Now, personally, guys, he was my favorite character out of the three to play as. And I felt like the story behind him, as far as the progression of the overall main story, and the chapter's locations that you played through as him, they were actually some of the most enjoyable ones in the game and, and overall helped shape him and my time as him uh, to be my favorite character to play as. Now, overall, I felt the developer Invader Studios did do a great job of creating a story that felt unique. And I felt like they did a lot of work fleshing out the details of these characters and the situations that were within the game world. Uh, you know, of course, there's tons of documents and emails to read to flesh out everything uh, that are always there for you uh, for your consumption pleasure in these kinds of games. And I love doing that. And I just I ate them up because I love story. I love getting that backstory, that explanation, that reasoning behind why did everything happen? I also felt it was very interesting how Invader Games uh, actually wrote the origins of the bioweapon and how it was made and how long that this process had been going on between this island facility and why the facility was even built on this island and how Keen City was uh, or Keen Site was actually involved in everything. It was just really interesting for me to see this mystery kind of play out in front of me. Uh, there was a, a lot of detail behind the Hexacore company as well and in regards to all the decisions made and, you know, all the you know, pockets being lined by dirty deals going on behind closed doors within local governments and whatnot. Uh, but Keen Sight, the city, was actually also a character in and of itself. And I love it when games do that and developers really add a lot of detail and personality and uh, culture to an environment that is within the game world that you're exploring. And I feel like Invader Games did a very good job of doing that with Keen Sight. Uh, I mean, you have posters and signs and billboards and there's all kinds of uh, businesses and restaurants that are throughout these areas that you're exploring and they just give a whole lot of substance to those areas. Uh, there is a dock area that you start out at at one point and, you know, just going through the, the bar uh, that was themed after, you know, pirates and, 
you know, just different things that were named on the menus and the way that the setup of the bar was. And you go outside and there's signs for the local Apple Festival coming soon. And, you know, as you progress, you, you read different things about the history of Keen Sight and understand why that city would give some kind of importance to an Apple Festival. I mean, it's just little things like that that, you know, maybe it's just me, but I love details like that and uh, nuance and depth. Now, the main story progressing through the main characters, as well as the story of Keen City and its citizens, uh, ultimately, everything just had its claws dug very deeply into me the entire game. And uh, the way the game was closed out, actually, as far as the story, was pretty phenomenal, in my opinion. Uh, Invader Games, they took the time to really flesh out some of the things uh, that were within the game that arose uh, with questions. Um, and they answered a lot of those questions. And... I thought that was awesome because a lot of times, you know, you're playing through a game, maybe you're watching a movie, reading a book, whatever. Sometimes, a lot of times, these questions aren't answered. But I feel like Invader Games did a very good job of trying to make sure that, hey, we came back around here in the end and made sure you got some answers. Now, uh, and there were actually also a lot of aha moments that were uh, popping up during the closing parts of the story that I really appreciated as well. But the game did end on a huge cliffhanger, and uh, I did read that Invader Games intended this game to be the first of a trilogy of games. So uh, I, I seriously hope that that is the case, because I really loved what they've done with this story and, and setting up the franchise and this first title, and I really, I really got to know what happened at the end there. Um, I'm not going to say at all anything, because I don't want to spoil anything for you guys, but man, I, I just, I really, I really want to know what happened. So hopefully the game is uh, successful enough to where they are able to continue forward with a second title. Now let's talk about the graphics and sound. All right, guys, so graphics and sound. Start with the graphics first. Uh, overall, I thought the game had really solid looking environments. Uh, you know, you have a lot of interior environments you go through, you go through secret labs, you're going through buildings, apartment buildings, hospitals, uh, restaurants, uh, all, all kinds of different locations interior wise, uh, exterior, you got the city streets of Keen Sight, you have the uh, mountainous hilly areas, the forest, um, there's all kinds of different areas that you kind of go through, uh, a junkyard at one point, uh, there's just a, a very uh, varied selection of environments that you're going to be exploring here. And I thought overall, they all looked very solid. Um, you know, the rain effects when it was raining, they were solid. The water effects. Uh, lighting, I felt like, was kind of just okay. And, uh, you know, you have a flashlight that you can toggle on or off as you're playing through. And I felt that in a lot of areas, it just it looked like it was a secondary piece of graphical tech, if that makes sense. You know, in a game that has really good lighting... You can kind of see it just bounce off of everything and it looks real and reflective. And in this game, I felt like it was kind of almost foggy, if you will. And it just kind of seemed like it was separate from the environment, if that makes sense. So I thought the lighting was just kind of okay. Uh, some of the faces on the character models, I felt looked cut out. Like say if you were cutting uh, uh, the face of this character out of a piece of paper you know, you missed a couple spots and you could just tell that you weren't fully along the lines of that cutout. That's what I mean when I say they look like they were kind of cut out. Um, the, the character models themselves, the bodies and whatnot, I thought they looked solid and, and had some decent detail to them. Uh, so not too, too bad, but the faces needed some work. 
uh, as well as the lip syncing with the voice acting. Uh, now, as far as sound, speaking of, uh, there was, I thought the game had great music. I loved the music in the game, especially when you go into the save rooms, because uh, the game, if you don't know, is a huge love letter to Resident Evil, and the save rooms are very familiar, uh, you know, as far as the melody is concerned, if you're a fan of the Resident Evil games. Um, so I love that. Uh, the sound effects, I thought, were very solid, and, and nothing to complain about there between the guns and enemies, and just in general, basic sound effects came across really well. Um, but the worst part about the sound in this game, and it was pretty bad, was the voice acting. Uh, you know, I'm just going to say that the voice acting was absolutely horrible. Um, it was, it was actually laughable. Uh, it was so bad. Uh, there was, yes, some characters better than others. Unfortunately, uh, poor Samuel, our forest ranger, he was the worst of the bunch. And I actually took a game clip on the Xbox, because the one cutscene where he was talking with a certain doctor was just, oh my god, I can't believe this guy just said this. The dialogue was pretty poor. Uh, with Samuel's character and his delivery, the voice actor, it was just bad. Now, I will say, I did question whether or not this was intentional, because again, it was a love letter to the 90s and to 90s pop culture. Uh, there's a lot of pop culture references throughout the game to the 90s and, and late 80s. Uh, as well as the fact that those games back then, if you remember the original Resident Evil games, the voice acting was pretty terrible then too. So I don't know if it was intentional on the developer's part to, you know, have, hey, let's make it as hokey and jokey and corny as possible, just like it was back then 20 years ago, or not. Uh, but in general, it was pretty bad. So without knowing for sure, I'm just letting you guys know it, it was pretty rough. Uh, but overall, that's kind of where I was at with graphics and sound. Pretty solid graphics, and uh, some of the sound, especially the voice acting, needed a little bit of work. So uh, let's move on to the game's controls. All right, guys, so when talking about the controls, I was playing on an Xbox One, and so therefore the uh, R triggers and bumper buttons, that's how I'll be referencing things here. Uh, in general, though, the controls I thought were very solid. Uh, character movement was real good. I didn't have any problems controlling the character. They were very tight, uh, but not tight in a uh, constricting way, just you know, very solid and, and felt good uh, controlling the character between dual analog sticks, left analog stick to control the character, right analog stick for the camera. Uh, and I thought that they did a very good job of you know utilizing a run and sprint option in the game. It was all tied to the left hand, and I love that because 99.9% .9 of the time, if we could even probably say 100% of the time, character movement is on the left analog stick. So I always wonder sometimes when I do play games when they don't have the sprint button or you know whatever the button may be uh, to make you walk or move faster, I, I'm always surprised they don't have it on the left hand side when they don't. Some games do, this game did, and I really appreciated that. Um, and then as you're holding down the trigger button to sprint, uh, or to move faster, I should say, you can actually also click in the left analog stick to then sprint. Now you do have a stamina meter that you have to watch when you do that. Uh, but the bottom line is when there's a lot of enemies around or even in boss fights, which we'll get to, uh, there is definite need for that sprint option. Uh, now, gun combat, I thought was, uh, for the most part, it was good, but there was a little bit of offness to it when it came to aiming. Um, you know, sometimes I would have the reticule right on the uh, enemy's head, and I would fire, and the shot, it would show the ping 
off of the wall behind the enemy or off to the left or right. Or I could tell that my reticule was not 100% right there on the face or the head of the enemy and it would hit the enemy in the head. So the calibration there was a little bit off uh, as far as the aiming in gun combat is concerned. But otherwise, it was pretty solid. I can't really complain too, too much about the gun combat. There is a melee option for you as well. You can click in the uh, right analog stick and that will, you can swipe and, and punch at an enemy and kind of push them back uh, in certain situations if they're close enough. And that also does drain your stamina bar. Uh, and outside of that, I mean, really the only other controls were within navigating your inventory menu, which I felt was done really well. I didn't have any complaints really about navigating the menu. Um, it was done by a really cool way, in my opinion. It was kind of a, a wrist device that whenever you press the back button, um, it would bring up your arm and your character would look at the arm and then you would kind of zoom in on it and then you could click through using the bumper buttons going from tab to tab. Uh, depending on what it was that you were looking at doing within the inventory system. So uh, overall, pretty solid controls. Nothing too much to really complain about there. Uh, so let's get into the meat and potatoes of the review and talk about the gameplay. So the gameplay is going to be from a third-person, over-the-shoulder, survival horror-style camera. So if you played any survival horror game, for the most part, from Resident Evil 4 on, uh, you're pretty familiar with this. Uh, the Evil Within series used it, Resident Evil 4, 5, 6, you know, etc. They used it. A lot of games use the over-the-shoulder viewpoint. Uh, this game is no different, and it does it really well, in my opinion. Obviously, you're going to be exploring a 3D environment, which is uh, areas in and around Keen's site, uh, the city that is the focal point of the game. And, uh, you know, you're going to be taking out or avoiding enemies, which are in the form of, I would assume it's acid kind of vomiting zombies, uh, we'll call them. There are no zombie biting uh, moments in this game, which was very interesting. Instead of latching onto you and biting you, as they would do in other survival horror games here, uh, they actually latch onto you and just kind of vomit a green, acidic sounding and looking uh, liquid, I guess we'll say. And you can tap the crap out of A and try to shake them off of you uh, quicker and lose less health in that moment. Uh, now, obviously, as you're going through exploring, you're going to have some pretty intricate puzzles that you'll come across. I'll be honest with you. It, it was very old school in that sense that I don't know if you guys, listeners, or some of you old enough to remember or if you've played some of the original Resident Evil games or games from the 90s. But a lot of those games, those survival horror games, they had some crazy off-the-wall puzzles. And uh, this game is definitely, as I said, it's a love letter to those games of the 90s, survival horror games of the 90s. And it definitely has its fair share of crazy, over-the-top, like, what am I doing here kind of puzzles. And uh, I enjoyed them, but I will say that there were uh, two main puzzles that really, really bugged me. Uh, one, I referenced in a previous episode of Captain's Quarters, if you've listened to those, uh, and it was in reference to Greek, uh, the Greek alphabet. I'm sorry, I did not study the Greek alphabet in school, and um, outside of being able to look it up online and seeing what A, B, C, etc. was in the Greek alphabet, I had no idea. And, you know, typically, okay, well, the game will provide you some means to solve these puzzles, and there'll be like a piece of paper or a document somewhere that you can find that'll have that Greek alphabet. Nah, there was nothing there. So the only option I saw was either you know the Greek alphabet or you have to look it up online. And I thought that was a little unfair. 
there was a second puzzle that was late in the game that actually required you to not necessarily know Morse code uh, because this puzzle did have that reference to what the Morse code alphabet was. Uh, but I thought I was just like, man, this is it, it was a little frustrating for me. It took me a little while to figure that one out. But outside of that, I mean, the puzzles in general, it was still fun. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. I still enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, as you're exploring as well, you're going to be coming across a lot of backstory that is in the form of documents and emails. There's audio logs that you can find as you're going through uh, that you can listen to and it'll give a lot of context to some of the scientists and different doctors and, and players that are at the high end of things here in the Hexacore Corporation and what's going on there. Um, and there's just a lot of really cool things to examine that are items of interest within the environment. And uh, as I referenced earlier, the game has so many pop culture references, it's insane. And I just ate it up because all of the pop culture references are from movies, uh, games, TV shows, whatever, from 20 years ago that I loved. And it was just really cool to see them do their version of those uh, pop culture icons. So very, very cool. And if you're big into achievements or, or like gamer score trophies, a lot of these pop culture references, if you find them and interact with them in the environment, and just FYI, there's not going to be an icon that pops up for you to interact with it. You're going to have to be tapping A in the vicinity in order to trigger the interaction and then a little bit of text to pop up and uh, then usually an achievement or trophy. Uh, but just FYI, uh, keep an eye out for a lot of great pop culture references throughout um, there are some bosses that are throughout the game that you're going to have to come into contact with and take care of. And while I didn't think that they were too, too bad, uh, there were there were three major boss encounters. And at the very end of the game, and I get it, it's a survival horror game, and, and a lot of games in general do this, where they have these, uh, you know, the final closing moments of a game is, you know, two, three, four stages of, of an enemy or, or fights with the, the final boss or whatnot. And this game was no different. And it was done in, in very much different ways each time to where it wasn't too frustrating and they were fresh each approach, I guess, to that form of the boss to where it didn't bother me too much. But I got to tell you, whew, that final form of the boss, that final boss fight was really, uh, really grinding on my nerves after a while. But uh, again, you know, it's like any other game, any other boss fight that you kind of get stuck on, you got to stick with it, and um, it is what it is, and you can always usually come out on top. Uh, the other last thing I will say that I really appreciated about the uh, gameplay uh, were the save rooms, and within these save rooms, there were consoles where uh, basically, it's think of it as an upgraded version of the item box in Resident Evil, because you can put items into this console to conserve inventory space, or you can take items out of it if you need it from previously putting them in there. Uh, you can also trade if you have higher quantity of, say, three of these stimulus items. You can trade three of them to the console, and they will give you back a, a health uh, item um, or a regenerative item, something to that effect. So there's a trade option, a store option. And then they also have, there's certain characters that as you're exploring, they'll have ID chips on them. And you can trade these ID chips to get a little bit of tidbit of backstory and information on things, as well as trade them in to this console for usually a stimulus upgrade. Uh, and then there's also the option to do a hard save uh, within these save rooms. So the game is very much a checkpoint and autosave game. Uh, and there are these save rooms, though, that they are few and far between. Uh, but these save rooms are where you can actually do hard copy saves. So I would highly recommend finding them. Uh, taking a mental note of where they are, and if you need to, in certain areas, revisit multiple times to make sure you don't replay sections of the game based on the autosave. 
Uh, and then actually there's one more thing that I was going to say is the inventory management within the game I, I thought was very frustrating in parts. Uh, it was it could be kind of cumbersome at times because the way the game is set up is it's with some kind of a gun magazine system. And what I mean is in order to quick reload on your weapons, you have to have a magazine for that weapon. And if you have ammo for that weapon, even if it's in your inventory, you can't just press X and reload. You have to go into the uh, inventory system and manually transfer from the item or the ammo box to the weapon in order to reload. Or what the best way to do it is, you need to combine the ammo from the ammo box with the gun magazine. If you have the gun magazine loaded, you can press and just tap X and it'll do a quick reload. Or you can press and hold X and it will do a slow reload, which usually refills the whole clip. But I felt this system was personally unnecessary. I didn't think that it was, why, why do you have this in the game? I don't think it does anything beneficial uh, to the player, and it doesn't really add anything to the gameplay. It really just kind of detracts from it. So why wouldn't you have it like every other game I've ever played where you just reload? I mean, I don't understand the need for a magazine. So that was really frustrating to me, and uh, I didn't really think it was necessary. So that was the biggest takeaways, uh, hits and misses for me from the gameplay side of things. So now let's go check out my final thoughts. So in closing, Daymare, it may not have had the best voice acting, and it does have some opportunity in a few areas from a technological standpoint, but guys, this game gripped me, and it did not let me go for the 21 and a half hours that I put into it. Uh, the gameplay is solid, the UI is unique, and the, I mean, just the depth to the story and the background to Hexacore and the settings of the chapters, uh, the, the pacing of the game was great. I just, I loved it all. But being objective, uh, I will have to give it a final score of 7.75 out of 10. So that'll do it for my review. I hope you enjoyed listening, and I would honestly love to hear what your thoughts were of Daymare 1998. Did you enjoy it as much as I did? Did you hate it? Uh, what were things that you really liked about it? Did you find a lot of the pop culture references? Which pop culture references did you find? Uh, so you can reach me via email at lostatcgaming365 at gmail.com or on social media on Instagram at lostatcgaming and on Twitter at lostatcgamin1. So, until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.